0: If you've been away the last couple of weeks, or maybe you're joining us for the first time today, we're in a, a series entitled Numbers, hashtag but not numbers, unless of course you are Reg Cox, and then you do preach out of the book of Numbers, not sure if you noticed that last week. Uh, but the goal here is not so much to talk about the book of Numbers in the Bible, uh, we're not talking so much about symbolic numbers in the Bible, we're really talking about these little number combinations known as chapters and verses, combinations like these, 1, 1 3, 16, 29, 11, 23, 1, 8, 28. Because you see, your social security number, that's an important number in your life. Uh, your bank account number, equally important. Medical record number, very important. But these numbers, these little combinations of numbers, they, they are so much more important than all the rest of the numbers in our life because these numbers, they bring us life. They connect us to the author of life. These numbers tell us about God, help us to connect to God, help us to live in this perfect harmony with God. And so our, our focus this summer has been these unique number combinations that have spoken to many of us over the years and changed us in different ways. This morning I'm excited to share through you the numbers 1510, 1510. Uh, congrats to Katie Diaz for guessing the numbers correctly. Uh, this week, we post them on Thursday afternoon. Uh, she won our Chick-fil-A gift card for the week. She's not here today, though, so I'm going to be holding on to that gift card for her. And by holding on, I mean buying a milkshake tomorrow. So uh, you got to show up if you win it, Katie. Sorry. How many of you have ever heard of Newton's third law of motion? Say it with me if you've heard it before. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Now, I am by no means a scientist of any kind. I mean, I did make this bubble machine back in kindergarten that happened to win first prize at the San Antonio Elementary School uh, Science Fair. I mean, I'm not saying. Thank you. Thank you, Toby. It's a great honor. I really worked hard on that thing. Why did only the teens clap for that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge accomplishment. Kindergarten, the whole school. Anyway, jeez. That was the beginning and end, though, of my illustrious science career. So I don't know a whole lot about what Newton is trying to say here, but what I think he's describing for us is the dynamic known as cause and effect. Right? When one thing happens, another of, of equal importance or weight or movement or whatever it might be happens in response to the first thing that happens. i got a couple examples of this that might help clear it up. You put too much L.A. looks neon pink hair gel in your hair, action, and then this happens to your head, Reaction right? Equal opposite reaction. Okay. Uh, Tell yourself you're going to just watch one more episode of your favorite show on Netflix. Action. Stay up till 8 a.m. and miss work the next morning. Reaction, right? Don't act like you didn't do that, okay? Or how about this one? Spend several hours eating at Casa Bonita. Action. Spend the rest of the week thinking about the bathroom. Reaction. Too much? Too soon for some of you? (laughs) All right, that's probably not what Newton had in mind, but I think you get the idea. Action, reaction, cause, and effect. Well, the same dynamic, the same thing that happens in our lives, in our world, what we eat, what we watch, whatever it might be, it also happens in our faith. Action, reaction, cause, and effect is a big part of grace. Let me explain that to you. A few weeks ago, when I was with you last, I preached a sermon on grace. And not just cute, cuddly, make-you-feel-good Pinterest kind of grace... But scandalous, ridiculous, blow your mind, make you gasp, I feel a little dirty actually talking about it kind of grace, because that's the biblical grace. See, according to the numbers that we looked at last time, 2-4 and 2-5, Ephesians 2-4 and 2-5, you and I are spiritually dead. When it comes to our inner person, our spirit, our soul, our core, when it comes to who we are in an inner, immaterial kind of way, the Bible says we're nothing more than roadkill. We're nothing more than a, a pine beetle infested tree up in the mountains. To put it in terms you might appreciate, we're nothing more than a cell phone that has 1% battery life left. Or worse, it just turned off at the most inopportune moment. But our spirits, like that animal, like that tree, like that battery, our spirits have been drained of life. There's no life left deep within us. Now, I know that's not the most encouraging of news, but I don't know about you. When I go to the doctor, I want him to shoot me straight. I want him to tell me what's really happening. I don't want him to to make it flowery or to beat around the bush. I want him to tell me what's really wrong with me, doc. And the Apostle Paul is doing that for us in the Numbers 2, 4 and 2, 5. What's wrong with you is that you're spiritually dead. You might be alive on the outside, but you're like that zombie. You're the walking dead. There's nothing inside of you that's fully alive. And that's because every single one of us in one way or another, at one time or another, we've done the same thing that Adam and Eve did back in the day. We can belittle them or kind of make fun of them for doing what they did, but we tend to do the same thing, do we not? We disconnect ourselves from God. More than that, we disrespect, we disregard, we totally dismiss God. We dismiss his love. We um, disrespect his law. We disregard what he asked us to do and who he asked us to be. We don't acknowledge him. We don't listen to him. We don't obey him. You can do this knowingly, even unknowingly, but we all have the Adam ailment, if you will, this, this syndrome that they struggled with back in the garden. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if God weren't that big of a deal, but, but he kind of is. He's God. God. He is like that song said he is the way he is the truth he is the life he is the source of all that is beautiful and pure and good and when we disrespect him when we disregard him when we disobey him we disconnect ourselves from him and again if he is the source of all that is good if he is the source of life and light and love when you disconnect yourself from that source it's only a matter of time before you shrivel up and die Before your battery battery is drained before you're dead that's why Paul says when you disconnect yourself from God, you're as good as dead because you're going to run out of life at some point. But God, the scripture says, oh, oh, but God. Because of his great love for us, because this amazing amount of kindness that he wants to show to us, he saved us by grace. Here's what we mean by that. We were dead, but God gave us life. We were trapped, but God set us free. We were nothing but empty shells, but God filled us with his spirit. We had no hope, but God gave us the promise of heaven. We were bankrupt spiritually, but God gave us unfathomable riches. That's grace. See, we were far worse off than we could have ever imagined, but because God loves us and saved us, we now have it better than we could ever imagine. That's grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Say it now again. Grace. I wanted that to give you like the little, little oozy, like fuzzies, right? Like the, what do, you, what do you call those things? Goosebumps. I kept wanting to say bumpies. Like that, that's not right. Anyways, I hope it made you feel good when you said that. We went from being apathetic and alone and abandoned. Maybe physically, maybe in the relational world, maybe maybe in real life, but definitely spiritually speaking. Apathetic, alone and abandoned to adopted, adored and adorned by the king. See, that's grace. That's the scandalous grace the Bible talks about. And that's why the song says it's amazing grace. Because we went from this end of the spectrum, the very worst, to the very best, to the opposite end of the spectrum. But what I want to point out to you today is that grace, this great action of God, this taking us from one place to another, this should result in an equal and opposite reaction from us. Grace should honestly be the greatest depiction of Newton's third law that the world has ever seen. Cause and effect? Well, there should be something called the grace effect. Because grace should affect us all. That's what I want to show you this morning through our numbers. 15.10, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Everybody say that one with me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, Paul said that grace, God's grace, it changed him. God's grace, this great grace, it it affected him. It impacted him. It made him a different person than when he was pre-grace. You see, grace messes you up. Grace stops you dead in your tracks. Grace makes you fall on your face or lift your hands as high as you possibly can to the skies. That's what grace does to you. And if grace hasn't done that to you, you haven't grabbed a hold of it. The Lord hasn't grabbed a hold of you. Because grace, Paul says, will have an effect. So let's talk quickly about the three ways that I think grace, God's grace, will affect us. I'm gonna call it the grace effect. Little science play there. Let's see, though, what this grace, this action of God should do to us. What should our reaction be? The first effect grace should have on us, should, it should dra- dramatically increase our humility. Could at a passage to me, Romans 12, three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. At our college ministry back in Albuquerque, we did a little campaign one time where we had all the students, several hundred students, wear shirts that just said sober across the front. And when you wore a shirt like that down Central Avenue or into the quad at a huge state campus, you had some interesting conversations, to say the least. Good for you, man. Good luck. Keep it up. Sober, not me. I've been sober for 12 years, best decision of my life. Sober, pff, that's a waste. Here, have a beer. I mean, it was just, you want to shake things up tomorrow? Wear a shirt like that down the street. But the sobriety that we were thinking of, that we were focused on, that we were talking about, it wasn't the kind from alcohol or drugs. The sobriety that we were referring to was from something the Bible says is even more detrimental and devastating, and that is pride. See, the biggest problem that many of us have is pride. See what I did there? No, I didn't either, okay. But seriously, when it comes to the biggest problem in our world, in our church, in our government, in our hearts, in our homes, whatever it might be, I think you could make an argument that the biggest problem is Pride. See, pride is what led to Satan's fall. He thought he was more important than he was. He thought he deserved more praise than even God himself. And pride is going to lead to many of our falls as well. Let me share an interesting, possibly disheartening stat with you. Google states that nearly one million selfies are posted every single day on one form of social media or another. This means that last year alone, 24 billion selfies were uploaded to the Internet as if the grand canyon or that beautiful mountain pass or the ball game wasn't like pretty enough you had to stick your ugly mug in it right now i'm not saying that we're totally arrogant or self-centered but i'm not saying that we're not but the problem of pride it goes a lot deeper than selfies pride is the tendency many of us have to ignore or downplay our own faults but kind of exalt and highlight the faults of others. It's the whole sawdust and plank thing that Jesus spoke of. Pride is the tendency we have uh, when we hear advice or admonishment or correction, especially in a sermon maybe, to think, you know, my husband really needs to hear this. My neighbor needs to be here right now. Pride is that side of us that hates to applaud or congratulate others, like, yeah, I'm nicely done. But we want everybody to applaud us. Are you not entertained? Right? Pride is that side of us that is so um, slow to thank others and yet so quick to get mad at others when they don't thank us. Pride is that side of me that nearly every Sunday walks out of here thinking, this church is so lucky to have me. I am the greatest preacher they've ever had. Then I think, wait, that's extremely prideful. I can't say that. This church is so lucky to have me. I am the most humble pastor they have ever had. You see the problem with that? Pride sneaks up all the time. It rears up its ugly head more often than we'd like to admit to. And it's a problem that we not only deal with, it's a problem that folks throughout all of the scripture have dealt with. It's the problem King Nebuchadnezzar had when he stood on the top of his balcony and said, look at this amazing empire that I personally have created with my own hands. And in that moment, the whole thing was taken from him. Pride is the problem that Peter had when he said, you know, when it comes to faith, Lord, I've drawn a line in the sand, only to find a few nights later he's standing on the wrong side of the line. See, pride is a problem that we all have, that we all face, and it seems like it's a problem that the church in Rome faced. Uh, It seems as if they thought they were blessed by God or chosen by God or loved by God because they were more important than others to God. They thought they were more talented or, or brought more to the table. You can understand Rome, the Roman way of life, all the beautiful architecture, the art, the philosophy, and the church in Rome thought, you know what? We're better Christians than all the other Christians, And so Paul speaks directly to them and he says, you need to wake up more than that. You need to sober up. In response to their arrogance, Paul says, sober up. Think of yourself with sober judgment. He tells them that same grace that saved you, that same grace should humble you. Do you not remember where you came from? Do you not remember how bad off you were before Jesus showed up on the scene? I mean, honestly, how dare you brag, Paul says. How, How dare you boast How dare you exalt yourself at the expense of others, think that you're better than others, or or think that the world only includes you and not others. Wake up, sober up. God saved you when you were at your worst. You needed to be forgiven of far more than you even thought you ever had done wrong. You were loved when there wasn't a single lovely thing about you. You were saved by grace, and that should make you humble because you realize who you were before. And who you'd still be had not God shown up. So as a believer, don't think so frequently of yourself. Don't think so highly of yourself. Everything you have is a gift from the Lord. Look at that last line in Romans twelve three with me. It says, In accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Isn't that an interesting statement? Okay, we can't really boast about the life that we have. and We can't boast about the family that we have. We can't boast about the, the, the connection to Jesus that we have. But I can boast about my faith, right? I mean, I have a lot of faith. I'm strong in the faith. The passage says, God even gave you the amount of faith you have. You've got nothing on your own. It's all because of him. So sober up. Stop thinking so highly of yourself. By the grace of God, we have what we have. By the grace of God, we are where we are. It's all by grace. I don't normally point her out as a great theologian, but Katy Perry nailed it. By the grace of God, her song says. And the chorus line says, there was no other way. That's true for us, church. It's by the grace of God. There is no other way. Had God not shown up the way he did, had God not come through the way he did, had Jesus not come and done what he did, we would not have life now or for all of eternity. It's only by grace. And see, the Apostle Paul got this. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm not not boasting in front of you. I'm trying to model this to you. Let me show you a couple things that the Apostle Paul said throughout the course of his life. The Apostle Paul is probably one of the greatest evangelists, maybe even the greatest preacher to have ever lived, maybe the greatest Christian to have ever lived. Listen Listen to some of the things he said about himself. I'm the least of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, the verse right before the one that we just shared. I'm the very least of all the saints, he says in Ephesians 3, 8. I'm the foremost of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. What I want to point out to you is if you know anything about biblical narrative or the biblical chronology, this is in chronological order. He starts his ministry off by saying, you know, when it comes to the apostles, the 12, I'm the least of all those guys. Maybe the 72, I don't even come close to those who walked with Jesus when he walked this earth. Then later in his life, when he's ministering to the church in Ephesus, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. Anyone and everyone who's a Christian, I'm on the lowest totem pole of that whole entire group. And at the end of his life, when he's ministering to a young man named Timothy, he says, I'm the worst sinner in the entire world. I mean, think about that. He goes from being the worst in a small group to the worst in the church to feel like he's the worst in the world. And I don't think this is Paul falling deeper into depression, as some would say. This is not Paul falling deeper into sin, as others would say. This is Paul falling deeper into grace. This is Paul falling deeper into humility. Because the closer he got to God, the more he realized he was nothing like God. And so he says over the course of his life, I've got to sober up. It's not about me. It's not about me at all. See, grace should make us willing to say similar things. Say things like, you know, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not that big of a deal. I I, I don't need my picture all the time. I I have have a lot to learn. I've got a long way to go. I I shouldn't have to be thanked or praised for everything that I do. I struggle with this. I'm burdened by that. I need help with this. Grace should free us up to be humble, and admit to those things. That's the second thing I want to point out to you. Grace should affect our honesty. In 1930, the great baseball player, Babe Ruth, was signed to an $80,000 contract. Huge at that time. In fact, it was so big, it was more than the President of the United States made at the time. President Hoover made $75,000 that year, and the media had a heyday with this. They went to Babe Ruth and said, explain yourself, justify yourself. How can you make more than the President? And Babe Ruth, without even blinking an eye, said, well, it's simple. I've had a better year than he has. (laughs) Probably true with a lot of presidents, right? But Babe Ruth was just being honest. And grace-filled, grace-based, grace-saved believers, we should be honest too. You see, grace frees us up. It empowers us. It allows us to be real, to be raw, to be honest. Grace allows us to admit when we're down, when we're wrong, when we're hurting, when we need help. See, if the world truly operated underneath this kind of dog eat dog mentality, if, if truth out there was this idea that only the strong survive, then you would lie all the time about who you were because you want to act like you were stronger than you really were. That's not true with grace. With grace, you admit that you're weaker than you actually are. It's completely flipped upside down, but grace frees you to admit to your brokenness, to your problems, to your burdens. This past week, I read one of the largest growing industries right now is the workout clothing industry. It's booming. Right, Lululemon, Athleta, Tonic, all these different groups. Well, get this. It is growing at a rate 10 times faster than the workout industry itself. (laughs) So everybody's buying up the clothes because we love to look like we just worked out. We love to think that we love to work out. We want other people to think that we just worked out. But when it comes down to it, there's not many of us who love to work out 10 times faster than the industry itself. I mean, it's one thing to lie about whether or not you've been to the gym. It's another, though, to lie about how you're really doing deep in your spirit. It's another to lie about what you're really struggling with behind closed doors late at night. It's another to lie about what you desperately need help with that no one knows about and can't help you with because you're not telling them. But here's the thing, because of grace, my friend, Because of grace, you don't have to lie anymore. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put on a facade. You can be real. You can be honest. You can share the truth with us. See, grace allows us to openly admit to things and acknowledge them instead of throw around all these accusations. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they messed everything up and when God came and asked them, What happened? What did you just do? Remember what happened? The guy started throwing around all these accusations. Well, uh, it was uh, the woman. She 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 made me do it, and then he goes one step further. The woman you gave me, God, as if it's your fault. Okay, maybe she made me do it. You know what? You did this. He knows God's not going to buy that. So then he goes on to say, "The woman that you gave me, uh, listen to the serpent. The serpent made us do this." There's all these accusations. There's no admittance to what was real, what was true, what was, what was honestly happening. How different would that story read, my friends, if he said? And I messed this up, God. I listened, to it, I listened to a half-truth, listened to this lie, and now, now I do this, and now I regret it, now I'm feeling this way, and I'm torn away from, from Eve, and I feel like I'm torn away from you a little bit. What's happening? Can you help me? How different would that story read if it had been honest? How different would your story read if you'd be honest? See, because grace frees you up to be honest. You were not originally saved or loved or rescued or redeemed because you had it all figured out. And the same is true now. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You don't have to have it all figured out. Be honest about who you are, where you are, what's really going on. What did Jesus say about truth? What does it do to us? Bind us? Limit us? Enslave us? What does truth do? It sets us free. Let me show you John 1, For the law was given through Moses. Now look at this combination. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Wherever you have grace, you will also have truth. Because grace frees you to deal with the truth. I don't got to worry about what you think about me. I don't got to worry about what God thinks about me. I know he loves me. I know he's for me. He saved me at my worst. And so now I can bring some really bad stuff to him and he's still going to love me. I can be very honest about where I am and who I am. Grace and truth always go together. Grace allows you to admit, confess, be honest about bad things, hard things, ugly things, shameful things. Because you don't have to have it all figured out. You weren't saved because you did. And that's true even now. All right, the third way that grace should change and affect us, and we'll close with this, is through our desire and willingness to help, to help others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 reads this way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Everybody say, others. Time Magazine recently came out with a great story, and it revolved around the number 167. 167. That's the number of consecutive cars at an Indiana McDonald's whose driver paid for the meal of the person behind them. 167 straight. It started with a woman looking behind her, noticing a dad with his three kids in the car. He said, I want to buy their meal. When he rolled up to the register, he discovered what had happened. He decided to pay for the meal of the person behind him. It continued for six hours straight. Who's the chump that stopped it? That's what I want to know. (laughs) I'm going to find you, wring your neck. But is that how the Lord looks at us, right? Right? What what happened? Why did they do all of that? Because they experienced something called grace. right? They were given something they did not deserve. They were given a gift from someone they didn't even know. It it wasn't worthy enough or or it wasn't like a a payment for something they had done. It was totally undeserved, unmerited. And they were given grace. What was their natural response? What, What did they want to do immediately? What was the grace effect? They wanted to pay it forward. They wanted to pass it on. They wanted to help out other people because they realized how much they had been helped out. And if we can do that over a Big Mac and, a, and a, some French fries, can we not help out others because of the grace we've received from the Lord? And I wonder if the Lord's looking at each of our lives and like, Thomas, you have stopped this trend line. You're number 168, son. I've done all this stuff in your life, and now you're stopping that consecutive run from happening. You gotta pay it forward. You gotta serve other people. That's what Paul is saying here in Philippians. The first part of that verse, let's look back at it again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this idea of any comfort from his love, any sharing in the spirit, what he's listing off there is the benefits of grace. He's listing off to you what happens in grace. You're united to Christ through grace. You're loved by God because of grace. You share in the spirit because of grace. So if you get grace at all, if you understand in any little bit what has happened to you in and through grace, next verse he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. If you get grace, the effect on you will be your servitude to others. You humble yourself, and you look to others' interests above your own. What's the grace effect? It's helping out. It's lending a helping hand. It's being helpful. Why? Because God helped you when nobody else would even stop. God helped you in a way that nobody else even could. God helped you when nobody else even would. And now he said, because I've helped you, because I've started this grace effect in your life, just pass it on. Just pay it forward, my friend. Help other people. Let me close with a little object lesson, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, I've done this before, I think, so if you didn't like it the first time, I apologize. You're not going to like it the second time. It works perfectly, though, for our analogy right now, for our illustration, this idea of the grace effect. Many of our lives are represented and, and look a lot like this cup. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty sturdy. Uh, guys, I'm sorry, it's got flowers and little butterflies on it, but it looks good on you, okay? We're like this. On the outside, everything looks like it's just fine, but there, there's actually some problems in our lives, some, some that you really can't see, but we're kind of holy and not in a godly kind of way. Uh, we're all leaky. We all got issues. I'm gonna let you define personally what you think that means or looks like for you. Okay, no details. But we're all kind of leaking out and, and struggling with something. If we're honest about it, we all, we all have got some problems. Here's the problem, though, with our problems. We fixate on them. We totally obsess over our problems and, and that's all we can really sink or uh, sink, funny water, uh, think or see. You put them together, you get sink. It's all we can think about. It's all we can see. It's, it's all we really uh, are focused on throughout the course of the day. It's like, yeah, I did this well over here, but, but I still got these problems. And like, yeah, you might think I'm good in this area, but I've got these problems, and so we just think, man, if I just fill myself up more, that's literally the language we use, isn't it? If I just fill myself up more, all my problems will go away. More self-help books, more, more stuff for me, more, more hobbies, more interests, more me, 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 me. It's just more about filling myself up, my problems will go away. Your problems ain't going to go away. You focus on you, you just give more stuff to your, for your problems to work in and work through. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is to let grace affect you. The solution is to consider others better than yourself. The solution is to pour yourself out, help out. this is somebody in your life, they need you. And see, when I'm pouring myself out, your problems, they're not even a big deal. I don't even notice that the the cup has any holes in the bottom of it anymore because I'm moving so fast and I'm so focused on somebody else other than myself that my problems are no longer a problem. You with me? That's the gospel. That you've got problems, sure. Don't make a big deal out of your problems. Help somebody else with their problems. And when you do that, somehow, I don't know if it's perspective thing, I don't know if it's the, the power of the Spirit changing you and, and making it no problem anymore, but it won't be a problem any longer. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't think about you at all. Instead, consider others better than yourself. Put the needs of others above your own. Just start pouring yourself out. Whatever you have, guys. Whatever you have, pour it out. Now listen, next week I'm gonna share some numbers with you. There are some of the hardest numbers in the whole Bible. And it talks about the problems that we have in this life because they are big and innumerable and overwhelming at times. I get that. Do not feel like I'm trying to minimize your problems in any way. I'm just trying to tell you what the scripture says. When it comes to your problems, stop making that the problem. Start pouring yourself out into the problems of others. And somehow and in some way, you'll find life. That's the way that Jesus said. So the grace effect, church, I hope that grace will affect you. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. When you get it, when you grab a hold of it, it will mess you up. And I hope that it messes you up in the best way possible. I hope it makes you much more humble, much more honest, and much more willing to help other people out. That's what God wants his grace to do. Let me pray that over you and we'll get you out. God, thank you for who you are. We cannot stand up here and shout your praise loud enough or long enough to adequately communicate how grateful we are for your grace. That you would choose us, the beggars and the street people and the sinners. That you would choose us to be your sons and your daughters, to be the princesses and the the princes, Lord, the heirs to the throne, that you would take us out of a life that was leading nowhere, that you'd bring us into a life that will last for all of eternity. Wow. Help us to all be amazed at your grace this week in some new, fresh way. And Lord, I pray that grace has a huge effect on us. Call it Newton's third law, call it cause and effect, or just call it the grace effect or whatever. But help us, God, to be changed as a result of what you have done for each of us. Would you help us to be humble? There are many of us who need to get out of the selfie. And not just the picture, but, but in our own minds or in our own understanding of how the world operates. It's not, it's not about us. There are many of us who need to be really honest this week. And would we be courageous enough to do that? Would we share with our spouse, our kids, our parents, one another? Would we just talk about how we're really doing And there are many of us who need to stop looking at the problems that we have and start focusing on helping other people with their problems. So help us to be helpers. God, please make it so. Would grace affect us in amazing ways? Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Have an amazing week. We'll see you soon. God bless you guys.